Hi, everybody. Okay, so today we're going to talk about something that has just, it's been on my mind for a month. And you'll know why when we talk about why it's been on my mind for a month. But it's something that I, I don't think we've talked about a lot. And it's going to involve Eric Hallnagel and David Woods. And if you don't know who those two people are, well, today's a huge day because you're going to learn a bunch. But we're going to talk about, well, let's just get started and see what happens. Hey, everybody, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How are you? I hope you're good. I mean, things should be good. So my New Year's resolution is still plugging along. And you know, my resolution is to have the same bicycle for a year. And I've gone made like 20 days almost with the same bike. So I feel like it's been uh, a success so far. Now, part of that is because I haven't really gotten my bike out because I don't know what it's doing where you live, but the weather could not be a lot crappier. Now, for those of you that aren't in North America or on the luscious coast, um, you probably don't know this, but right now in the United States, kind of the whole, I don't know how to describe it, kind of the whole middle of North America is just just getting pounded. Snow and then more snow and then frigid temperatures and it's cold and stuff's freezing up and it's, it's, it's no time for men. In fact, this is the time to bring the brass monkeys inside, if you know what I mean. I mean, this is a, the weather has just been hideous. And it's um it's winter and we knew this was coming. This I don't know why weather surprises me. I've never really figured out why I'm fixated on weather and it surprises me, but it does. And so I'm just going to have to deal with it straight up. But uh, it's just it's not been a good time to hang out. Side. I mean, you can hang out inside all you want to. But outside, no, nah, not the best time. So, needless to say, I would guess the bike thieves have slowed way down in their production numbers because there aren't a lot of bicycles out. And that means um, I'm getting to keep my resolution going, which is a plus. I mean, that's that's a real plus. Pretty excited. Um, what else am I supposed to talk about with you guys? There's a whole bunch of stuff I'm supposed to talk about. One is the, the book, the Five Principles book is in Spanish. And I, we talked about it. In fact, we had a podcast on it, I think. Maybe I just dreamt that we had that, but I think we had it. But the, the if you've got a workforce that is Spanish-speaking, this is a pretty great thing because um, it's weird but important, I think, that this hasn't been done a whole lot. We have lots of Spanish documents. That, that's been done for, for a, a, a good long time. But on the theory side, on sort of the, the leadership side, there's not been a whole lot. And so this book is, seems to be, at least from the emails I'm getting, answering a need that I didn't even know existed, but thank goodness other people did. Um, and I'm just honored and pleased as punch that it was translated, and that's great. If you need the book in Spanish, it's there for you if that will help you. So got to get that out the door and talked about. Uh, I'm getting pretty excited for the uh, uh, giant safety meeting in Australia 
because that should be a relatively good time. I'm mostly excited because there's a music festival. That, my friends, is an idea that is one we should have pursued earlier. I think every big safety meeting would be better if there was music in the middle of it. You know, like like interesting, good music in the middle of it. So this could be a, a remarkable change in the entire path of our profession moving forward from now on. I mean, this, that's how earth-shattering and paradigm-shaking this is. But it also sounds like fun. And f- fun is a... Fun's one of the best things to have. If you have to have something, go with fun. Uh, almost every chance you can. Just uh, fun is a good thing to have. And so that'll be fun. And looking forward to that. And then I have a tiny bit of uh, travel, but I'll be good. The great thing is I'm going to get to see people. And, and I'll get to see people kind of around the globe. So that'll be good. And then get to hang out and sit in airports, which, you know, if you've listened to me at all, you know is my favorite thing. So that's going to be a riot, just a riot. It's going to be amazingly fun. How about you? Are things going well? Is the year happening the way you wanted it to? And uh, change taking place? I'm hoping so. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, it's it's working wonderfully for you. I'm just thinking that if we just hold on for a couple more months, the groundhog will see his shadow or won't see his shadow. Those seem to be the two choices. It's kind of a a binary. And we either will or won't have six more weeks of winter. That's coming up. I mean, that's that's coming up. So we can make it through that, I think, as, as well as we progress forward. That leads us to today's discussion. And today's discussion, I think, is a, is a relatively interesting one. So let's think about what we want to talk about. So you heard me say earlier that I'm going to talk about Eric Hallnagel and David Wood. And the reason I want to talk about these two guys is because I want to, I want to talk about Hallnagel's idea of ETTO. I don't know if you know that acronym, ETTO. It stands for Efficiency Thoroughness Tradeoff. And basically what Eric says is that workers are as thorough as they need to be in order to be efficient. But it never pays to be overly thorough because that's going to impact efficiency. And being overly efficient is going to impact thoroughness. Now, when Eric talks about thoroughness, he's really talking about sort of operational reliability. But for our discussion today, we could talk about safety or we can talk about quality. We can talk about the idea that you're as thorough as you need to be in order to be efficient. And the reason I've been thinking about this efficiency thoroughness trade-off, I mean, I guess I think about it a lot because it's, it's super normal. I mean, it happens all the time, but it has to do with Boeing and the 737 MAX 9. Now, I know if you don't live in a cave, maybe even if you do live in a cave, if you've got good Wi-Fi, you know about the door or the hatchway, the plug that blew out of the airplane on the Alaskan Air over Portland. So you know that happened. 
And I would suggest that's it's quite a story. I mean, that's that's a that's dramatic at every level. It's catastrophic in its failure, and yet I think one of the most interesting parts about it. And for some reason, I don't know why, but people don't really talk about this much, is that the plane landed safely and nobody was injured. I mean, they probably had a lot of post-traumatic stress. I'm sure it was a freaky thing to have happen. It'd be scarier than crap. But the plane didn't fall from the sky and everybody died. And so there's a couple stories to be told here. And one is the story of the failure, which is a, a classic story involving ETTO. And one is the story of the resilience, which is a classic story involving the fact that this plane was designed in such a way that it could have this catastrophic door size hole appear. And fortunately, and that probably was luck, there were no people sitting nearby and that catastrophic hole could cause the plane to have an incredible event. I mean, a completely incredible off-normal event, and yet have it in a way that was fully recoverable. The plane was able to drop in altitude to 10,000 feet to turn around and to land, and people got off the plane. And in fact, what's interesting about that is they not only got off the plane, but they lived to tell the story of what happened. Uh, and there's all sorts of ways you can look at this, but I think the one that probably is most meaningful to us is more holistically. The failure absolutely is significant. It's important. It's, it's, it's really worthwhile to talk about how this failure took place. What conditions had to exist to allow this hatch, this plug, to be sucked off the plane at 16,000 feet and land in the, the yard of a school teacher pretty much unscathed. And what's interesting is that the story that we're hearing, at least the story, maybe I should own this, that I'm hearing, the story that's on the news is really the story of the failure. But I actually think it's the story of the success that is more compelling. At least from my standpoint, I'm very interested in the fact that that plane was designed with enough robustness and resilience, and there needs to be both. We know that. We've talked about it before, that that event was recoverable. And that sort of leads me to the efficiency thoroughness trade-off. Because it sounds like, and I'm going entirely on sort of what I've read, what I've seen, and certainly an amount of speculation. So this is just me talking. But it sounds like the door was in a, 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 a status that allowed the door to come off. Now, I know that's true because that's what happened. And it sounds like either the bolts that hold the door on were loose or even maybe the bolts didn't exist. But nonetheless, after a certain amount of time, pressurization, depressurization, pressurization, depressurization. After a certain amount of time, that hatch, in fact, left the plane. I, it's hard to say that it failed because it doesn't look like it failed, not from the photographs of the door or not from the photographs of the door hole, the hatch and the hatch area. 
It just sounds like it, it failed. And what you have is a really interesting challenge that exists in all manufacturing, in all operations, in all the work we do. And that's the need to be thorough and be profitable and efficient, to be safe and profitable, to be efficient and thorough. And that relationship always is a trade-off. And one of the more interesting parts about that is in retrospect, after the hatch leaves the plane, well, it's really easy to say they weren't thorough enough because they weren't thorough enough. But before the hatch left the plane, that same data set simply did not exist. And so now you have this really interesting relationship between exactly what Eric Honegel calls the efficiency thoroughness trade-off. And the reason I bring this up, well, one is because it, it's hard to watch the news or read any kind of information and not think about that trade-off in this case study because it's a huge part of the case study. But it's also super normal. And it happens where you work, in your organization. It probably happens to you. And that is really an important thing for us to think about. Because we're in a world where we really do constantly trade off safety for production, efficiency for thoroughness. And the more efficient we make a system, by definition, the less thorough that system will become. And yet, the incentive to create incredibly efficient systems is with us all the time, and it's a powerful force. And you can sort of see where this is all going, which leads us to the David Woods part of this equation. Now, David Woods doesn't talk so much about efficiency thoroughness trade-off. He talks about operational goal conflict. And I'll grant you, they're different. They're not the same thing. Because when David Woods talks about goal conflict, he's really talking about sort of the decisions workers have to make in real time because two important goals have come together and they're not combinable as written. So the example I think of all the time is that every time a pilot in a commercial plane pushes back from the gate, since we're into aviation metaphors here, that pilot has to make a decision whether they're going to follow the rule or fly the plane. And so they're constantly looking at these goal conflicts, and there are tools available in aviation to help them understand what's vital, the rules they can't break. And then there's a list of rules they can break, which one wonders how important those rules are if they're breakable. But they have to create an environment where they have to justify those conflicting goals. Now, that's different than the efficiency thoroughness trade-off, and yet that's a huge part of the very discussion we're having. Because one of the challenges is that when you look at them together, efficiency thoroughness trade-off and justification of conflicting goals, what you have is the worker stuck right there in the pinch point where they're going to create the efficiency. So they're going to have to find time 
to work faster. And in order to work faster, they've got to do less of something. And they have to find a way to justify the rules with the actual work. And so what's amazing is that this nuance is always present. And once in a while it shows up. It shows its ugly head when a hatch flies off a 737 over Portland. But to me, the story isn't who's going to pay for this failure. And the reason I have the luxury of saying we don't really need to look for who's at fault is because when the system failed, it failed in such a robust way that we didn't really have any high-consequence payout. But I would suggest that's an opportunity to actually move this discussion away from blame and away from liability and towards understanding exactly what's happening around critical high-risk systems that are constantly caught in the middle of efficiency and thoroughness and conflicting goals that must be justified. Because it's going to be impossible to remove ETTO. And quite honestly, I think it's going to be impossible to remove conflicting goals. So we know we have that as sort of boundary conditions. That's normal. And if that's normal, then I think our job is to help workers translate that as effectively as they can so that it moves the organization towards higher reliability. And that's a big part of the discussion, which means we've probably got to look at our incentive programs, which I think is the discussion that should come out of the Boeing 737 MAX 9, is that this is really a discussion around incentives and not a discussion per se around operations. But the amazing part of this story, I mean, the part that just never goes away, is really the celebration of the robust engineering that exists in this plane. Because I promise you, had there not been robust engineering, this story would have had a tragic and much, much different outcome. But it didn't. The challenge is, is the realization that the efficiency thoroughness trade-off is a normal part of work. And when we look at work, work that's happening every single day, normal work, work that hasn't failed, one of the questions we want to ask is, where do these trade-offs exist? And are we aware of them? And the answer is going to be, we don't know all the places where they exist. And no, we are not aware of them. We're not even close to aware of them. Now, remember, the solution for complicated problems is to simplify. But the solution for complex problems is to provide transparency. And if you think about accountability as a transparency, accountability provides clarity, then what you know is that that clarity around efficiency and thoroughness, that transparency around the efficiency and thoroughness becomes much more than just a good to have. It becomes a vital uh, I want to call it a metric, but I don't want to say metric. It becomes a vital condition to monitor. That's probably a much more effective word. 
And that's something we ought to be looking at. We ought to look where those pinch points are. Look where those goal conflicts exist. Look where the efficiency thoroughness trade-off is actually having impacts. Um, It's actually trading efficiency for thoroughness. And that's the place where we want to be hyper-aware of how those operations happen. But we'll never find that by simply thinking we already know where it is because we don't. The only people that can help us really constantly identify those places are the people who do the work. And what's amazing is those places are constantly changing based upon the client, the conditions, the stock market, the customer, the board of directors, everything influences operations. Knowing this is a valuable tool because knowing this helps us improve. And improvement is really a function of our ability to learn. And that's where we are in that discussion. So when you think about the Boeing hatch story or any other countless stories that live in the world around you, stories that exist in your place, don't just think of the failure. Think of the failure in a wider context. And think of the idea of the efficiency thoroughness trade-off and the goal conflicts that exist. And there's a space in between there on purpose. Those two ideas from Eric and David are really vital to helping us understand how we move forward. What do you think? That discussion is one that I've been wanting to have just because it's been, it's, it's hard not to think about this in the midst of all this stuff. I, the, the efficiency thoroughness trade off is just a huge part of what took place over Portland at 16,000 feet. In the same breath, the fact that that was recoverable is, it's, it's not miraculous. It is a miracle. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, but it's not miraculous. It's engineering. I mean, they they built a plane that had the ability to withstand that large of a void in the side of containment. I don't know if they call that containment. That's a word we would use at work. But a plane that could fly with that big a hole, that's remarkable. And all those things kind of come together to actually, I think, illustrate two things. One is there aren't any easy answers. Dang it. I wish there were. I'm constantly questing the easy answer. That's what I want. Give me the easy answer. Push the easy button. But there aren't any. So that's it. And two is that we have to, have to, have to look at these events in a larger contextual picture. Because if we don't look at the larger context, we will completely miss the forest for the trees. Absolutely, completely miss the. And then when we miss the forest for the tree, what happens is we leave all the conditions necessary for a failure like that to happen again. And the second time it happens, we just look dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. And nobody wants to look dumb. We want to look the opposite of dumb. We want to look sexy, like a model. That's what we want to look like. And so those two pieces of data, that wider contextual view, 
and understanding where the system failed and where the system picked back up again, that's pretty vital to the work you do in understanding operations on a daily basis. And let me say it again, we can find those ETTO zones, the efficiency, thoroughness, trade-off areas, and we can definitely find those goal conflicts before they fail, before they have consequence. In fact, the people that work for you know right where those are. I mean, this, this isn't a mystery to them. The problem is, is they're constantly changing. And so we're going to have to have this conversation more than once or twice or even three times. But that's all right. I would call that job security. I don't know what you call it, but that's what I call it, job security. And I love job security. So that's the discussion. I hope this helps. I mean, I hope everything helps. I mean, that's always what I look for. Thanks for listening. And tell your friends. Um, anybody's welcome. Don't cost you anything. And uh, it's just a conversation you and I have just for fun. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. 